Yay, good start. Well, Happy New Year. And welcome to a new decade. Some of you are not very enthusiastic about that. I wonder what it will hold for us. I wonder what it will hold for us as individuals. Some of you are on Facebook and um, say you all have seen the, you know, the 10-year challenge, the 2009-10-2019-20 challenge. And uh, I think the most obvious things for us in our family over the last 10 years is that our children have gone from there to there and um, a few more grey hairs and a few pairs of glasses. Um, it's amazing. That sums up a whole 10 years. <laughs> I wonder what it's going to be like. I wonder what it's going to be like for us as a church. When I um, met up with Matt uh, earlier this week, he said, um, did you leap into the new year? I said, what do you mean? Did, well, did you get on a chair and leap into the new year? I said, uh, no. <laughs> no. Anyone here leap into the new year? Lauren, obviously. <laughs> and was it like a really you know, compelling experience? Do you feel better for it? Yes. Do you feel like you missed out January and February through leaping into the new year? Excellent. You know, sometimes we kind of have this sense, don't we, of, of super enthusiasm, even as we've got older, um, on a new year. And maybe even more so when it's a new decade, that you think, okay, okay, I can start afresh. And that's why we have New Year's resolutions, isn't it? And we, we have this sense of hope and optimism. And sometimes it only just about makes it to the following morning. And sometimes you can get to about February before you go, oh, really, it's just the same as it always was. And I hope that today what we're going to talk about is not just... Um, a kind of overinflated sense of optimism on the first Sunday of a new decade. I, I hope that there's more to it than that. So we're talking about 2020 vision. Actually, I think that every minister in the land is talking about 2020 vision this morning, uh, all over Facebook as ministers talking about 2020 vision. And I think to myself, why did we not all confer? And we could have saved ourselves a lot of time and energy with one sermon for the nation. But anyway, we didn't. 2020 vision. When we think of 2020 vision, we're more often than not thinking about eye tests. And that's what I wrote about a couple of uh, weeks back. And we all hope for 2020 vision, don't we? And for many, many years, I rejoiced in the ease of 2020 vision. I would turn up for my eye test about every 10 years, and it would always be the same. It would always be 2020 vision. Sadly, about seven years ago, I realized that I was beginning to not be able to see my sermon notes any longer. Uh, I put it off for a little bit longer, but then I realized that I no longer have 2020 vision. Well, what do I have? You see, 2020 vision is defined like this. Actually, according to opticians, what we are really talking about is visual acuity. I thought you needed to learn something this morning. That is the clarity of your eyesight measured by our ability to identify letters or numbers on a standardized eye chart from a specific viewing distance. It is a static measurement, meaning you are sitting still during the testing, and the letters or numbers you are viewing are also are stationary. It is very useful to determine the relative clarity of your eyesight in standardized conditions. It isn't predictive of the quality of your vision in all situations. Now you know. And so you sit there, don't you, in the chair, and there's a distance, and then there's this board with all these letters on, and you feel slightly anxious. 
And so you know it says eighth, but you say N anyway, because you feel slightly anxious that maybe you're going to get it wrong and you've forgotten your letters after all these years. Visual acuity. 2020 vision is about what is clear now. What is clear to us now from where we are? See, we can't make everything clear just by trying. We can only look at what is in front of us from this position right here and now and say, what can we see? What is clear to us right now? We can't know what will change even in the next day, leave alone week or month or a year's time. We can only see what we can see right now with real clarity. And we have to work out what are the parameters by which we make those decisions. Where is the chair? Where is the chart? How big are the letters on the chart? How do they change? What is the environment that we are in? What are our parameters by which we are making decisions? What are the questions that we're asking? You'll notice that from that reading that we read in Numbers, he said, see how many people there are. See what the land looks like, what, how much so what the soil is like. Are there any trees? What are the towns like? Are they fortified or are they not? Check it all out carefully. And that's kind of one of the ways in which we make decisions. We use the old SWOT analysis. We think, what are our strengths? What are the things that we're doing well together? What are our weaknesses or what are potential weaknesses? Things that we need to address and concern ourselves about. Where is the wall looking a bit ragged? Where are there some holes? What are the opportunities that are available to us, Skipton Baptist Church, in January 2020? What are our opportunities right now in our current climate, our current situation? What are the opportunities available to us? And what are the threats that are coming against our church, the church, our nation? What are the things that we need to wake up to? That's one of the ways in which we determine what is our vision moving forward. Where are we going to put our energies? Where are we going to invest? We can't invest everywhere all at the same time. So what is our vision? Whenever we talk in the church about vision, there is a verse that routinely comes to people's minds and it's this one, where there is no vision, the people perish. It's Proverbs, it looks like it's Psalms, so I just said it's Proverbs 29 verse 18. And this is a verse that's been carried over from the authorised version, which people just like to quote, because it says what they want it to. So following on from that is this, where there is no vision, the people will misinterpret Proverbs 29 and verse 18. Because actually, in our more modern translations, it says this, where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Or this version, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. Or this one, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Do we get a bit of a sense of what it's like when we get the vision of God? It allows us to follow his footsteps, his direction, his guidance. When we don't have a vision of what he wants for us, individually as a church, then we just do whatever we please. We do whatever we want. Everyone goes off in their own direction. But actually what we want is God's direction. And it's obedience 
to the revealed will of God for us, his law, his word. What is vision? Vision can be defined as the bridge between the present and the future. That's one of its definitions. There's hundreds of them. Vision is something which compels me to give to it my life, all that I have. For example, if you've decided this year, and many of us decide this every year, that we want to look a certain way, depending on the strength of our vision will depend on the level of our sacrifice. So if the vision is very, very strong, we may possibly, perhaps, resist chocolate biscuits. If, however, the vision is somewhat blurry, then our response to the vision will also be blurry and we'll probably consume the chocolate biscuits. Um, a few years ago now, I determined to run a marathon. And so I had this vision provided by me by a bit of documentation from London, the London Marathon, that I was going to run the London Marathon. It's in April. So January, February and March... Best running season, best training season, guaranteed mud, knee-deep mud, rain, horizontal snow, cold, everything. But I got up, I got out of my house, I ran most of the time, I ran long runs some of the time. Why? Because I wanted to run the marathon, so my vision compelled my sacrifice of my comfy chair and my bed and my warm house. I no longer have a vision to run the marathon. I no longer leave my house. <laughs> a couple of months ago, I decided that I wanted to learn to play the soprano saxophone. So the vision was not just that I would play it, but this is me that we're talking about. The vision is that I would play it well, like really well. And so it's cost me. It's cost me quite a bit of money, ongoingly now because I have lessons. It's cost me... Time, which for many of us is our most precious commodity, actually. Because I have a lesson every other Saturday morning, and I practice. And um, so that takes time, and now I'm part of a quartet, so that's another afternoon month. Because I want to do well. It's cost me even more than that, actually, because playing the saxophone for me means that I have blistered lips and the bleeding inside of my mouth. But... I don't care because I want to play the saxophone well. I don't mind that it costs me that. I'd really rather it didn't, but it does. So what your vision is determines what you will give to it. And that's why it's really important for a church, us as a church, that we have a sense of following the vision of God for us in this place, in this town, because it determines what we will invest in it. And if it really matters to us, if we really see it, if we really hold it in our hearts, then God knows what we will give to that. What is vision? Vision is what we see, but vision is also the way that we see. You see, these things here are really of no use to me quite a bit of the time because, frankly, I'm terrible at looking after them. And so, more often than not, they're incredibly blurry. And when I can take them off, I can see more clearly than when I've got them on. <laughs> Maybe you've got a scratch across your glasses. 
And if you have, everything that you look at will have a scratch on it. Every person you see will be scratched. Every image you watch will be scratched. The problem lies with us, doesn't it? Our vision is impaired, not because of these, but sorry, not because of what we're there, but what we're looking through. You know, Paul prays that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. Because we only see with our eyes, but we perceive with our hearts. We receive images with our eyes, but it's our heart that interprets those images. If our heart becomes bitter or jealous or hurt, the lens of our hearts is infected and our vision is distorted. What we perceive going on and what is really going on might be two different things. And I'm sure that, like me, at times you've fallen out with people and and stuff has got difficult. And you see that person, everything they do is seen through the lens of the fact that I feel hurt. I've allowed bitterness to grow up in my heart. So I can't see them doing anything good because I'm looking at them through the lens of my heart, which is hurt. A couple of years ago, I had the privilege of um, going out to Cameroon briefly to see mercy ships, and we got to go to the Festival of Sight there. And it was something else. I mean, especially for those that, of us that are not from uh, African ethnicity and are rubbish at dancing, it was definitely something else. And one by one, people got up to the microphone, uh, not the microphone, just to the front, and they just said, basically, I was blind and now I can see. And it was just overwhelming because what had happened was they'd had generally one, one cataract removed from their eyes. They didn't do two normally because they'd rather give sight, you know, a reasonable amount of sight to everyone rather than perfect sight to, to some. They removed a cataract from their eyes and it literally went from darkness to light. I just... I just felt as we were worshipping together this morning that maybe for some of us we've allowed a cataract to grow across our hearts. And maybe, like with real cataracts, it's taken a really long time to grow. And just like with real cataracts, we've got so used to the blurred vision that we scarcely notice that it's not as it should be anymore. And I just felt like God said... You know, just as physically these eye cataracts could be removed in about 10 minutes tops. I mean, you wouldn't believe it. Shuffle along the bench, go, remove. Shuffle along the bench. I mean, you know, God can do that. He can deal with the cataracts that are in our hearts that are preventing us from seeing things as he sees them. And that is just so important for each one of us at the beginning of this new year and moving forward, that we are not looking blindly or blurredly ahead of us and saying, well, I can't see it. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with what's going on. I'm, I'm not comfortable with it. I'm not, because we just can't see. Because in our hearts, there's a cataract of something, whether it's a bitterness or it's a hardness or it's a distance from God or something that's come across our hearts. It's not allowing us to see clearly. You know, what we see in our hearts is what God allows us to perceive as his vision for us going forward. Jesus said, 
You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Perhaps some of us need to know the truth this morning, to be set free from unforgiveness, from sin, from all these kind of things, to move forward, to be free. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, forgetting what is behind, I press on. And it may be a fake newness. You know, it's the same Tuesday and Wednesday that we have every week of the year. It may be a fake newness. But if you have stuff that happened in 2019 and you're dragging it behind you, I have an image of one of those, it's because Mike's reading this book about these people crossing the Arctic, there's huge sleds that people drag. You know, if you're dragging all your rubbish on the back of that sled into 2020, why are you doing that? You don't need to. Leave it and press on. That was that one, by the way. <laughs> a number of years ago, we wrote together a church vision statement. We thought about it for quite some while. Part of what we wanted to have was something where if someone said to you in a coffee shop, what's your church about? You could have something simple to say that you could remember. You didn't need to get out a page of paper to tell them what it was. And also that broadly had normal words in it that people could understand. And this is, this is what we came up with, is meet God, meet friends, make a difference. And just, I was just listening this morning um, to something reminding us of the greatest commandment that Jesus gave, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. That's the first bit. And to love your neighbor as yourself. That's kind of the second and third bits. We are committed to this. This is the big lens through which we see the vision of our church. We are often asking ourselves when we're trying to decide whether to do something or not, does it facilitate people to meet God, to meet friends, and to make a difference? And if it doesn't, frankly most things do, we don't need to do it because that's not what we're about. And over these next few weeks ahead, we want to define that a little bit more carefully by thinking about what kind of a culture we have in our church, what kind of a church we are, and what kind of church we want to be that honors Jesus, that is a place where people get to know him. So we're going to be working on some core values. Now, we hope that you'll go, oh, yeah, of course, that's obvious, because this is your church, so therefore it should be obvious that this is the kind of church we're talking about. But we hope that it will help us to express a little bit more of what we want to be about, to define it a little bit more clearly, um, and to see where there's things that we need to work more on. So these are the kind of things. These are works in progress, okay, so they're not necessarily perfect yet. We are a Trinity church. I mean, not Holy Trinity. We're not Trinity Methodist. We're a Trinity church. We believe Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's really important. We are a worshipping church. We are a disciple-making, discipling church. In case you haven't got that. Um, this is currently my favorite. We want to be a normal church. Normal meaning authentic, real, you know, we want to be a loving church, we want to be a connected church, we want to be a kingdom-building church, we want to be a gospel-driven church, we want to be a whole-life church. And we're going to work through those over these next weeks and together explore what those look like, and maybe they'll have some slightly different tags by the time we get to the end, that's kind of fine. But we've put three under each of our vision statements, because in this next year... We want our vision of God to expand, don't we? Do we? 
You know, God doesn't get any bigger. He is just big, as Phil has already <laughs> expressed. But our view of him needs to expand. You know, whether it's the joys or whether it's the sadnesses, whether it's the fruitful times or whether it's the challenging times, our vision of God just needs to be a bit bigger, doesn't it? We need to see him more clearly. We need to have a better vision of ourselves in the light of who he is. You know, God's word says lots of stuff about who we are. It says that we are saints to start off with. So if you're feeling discouraged in this new year, think of yourself as saint. You know, we didn't have to wait for the new year honours list. We are saint. Saint Phil, Saint Miriam, Saint Alex. It's kind of good. We could go around saying that to each other, couldn't we? I'm sure we'd all feel better. Who are we? What is God's vision of us and our vision of each other? We want to have a better Vision for our front lines, that's the places where God has put us, whether it's our home, our leisure place, our workplace, all of the above. We want to have a better sense of how we serve God, where he's put us, and a vision for our church and the church in this nation. And we're really excited about the fact that the youth room, possibly slightly overexcited, is about to, to be done because it's been waiting for forever. Forever. And our young people deserve a brilliant place to meet and to bring their friends so that they can meet Jesus too, don't they? You know, a vision for what we can see expand beyond uh, some nicer walls and better toilets. A vision for beyond that. But that's really exciting. Our vision for our church this year is that we might actually, maybe, probably, hopefully, prayerfully, get the downstairs and major works done on the house. You know, that is not an empty hope anymore. It's a, it's a hopeful hope, like a probable hope. Like it might even actually even happen. By, the, by this time next year, our vision might be all about how we get everyone to work this out in reality, maybe sooner. You know, that's a good vision to have, isn't it? What is godly vision? Well, it's a whole bunch of things. And some of us will more naturally gravitate to one of these than the other. First of all, there's foresight. That's that kind of like looking through a telescope, looking into the future, having an outlook, knowing what's ahead and how that connects to where we are now, making sense of life. It's the, the motivation stuff. Some of us are really good at looking into the distant future. It's almost as if we are constantly looking through a telescope because all we see is what's properly ahead of us. And that's what gets us out of bed in the morning and gets us excited. Some of the things we've been talking about over these past five years or so have been the telescope things far ahead wondering quite how it's all going to happen but then there's a point where we need this the microscope insight like looking at life through a microscope looking at the fine detail why things happen the motivations in our heart the small stuff and for some of these things that's where we are now we've kind of gone from the telescope to the microscope and we need to work it all out the fine detail some of us are really happy there we all want we want to do fine detail when other people need to be looking through the telescope so we're, we're now happy because we can do fine detail where are we in this what's the microscope on our hearts right now what's god's perception of us what's our perception of ourselves what are the small things that he needs to address in us and drones have become ever popular, haven't they, in these last few years? And wonderful pictures over the Serengeti from David Attenborough's last program, you know, from drone footage. It's amazing, isn't it? But we also need to have that kind of 
perspective, that oversight, understanding where we fit in relation to everything else. There's this wonderful verse in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. And it says this. It talks about the men of Issachar, one of the tribes, who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. You know, if we have a prayer right now, it would be for that. That we understand the times and we know what we as church, God's people, should do. You know, in our nation right now, we're just about to have three weeks and then I think we're actually doing Brexit. It doesn't matter to me what your political view on that is. Things are going to change. How are we as the church standing up in that place? What is it that God wants us to be? Across our news right now is the uh, murder of that Iranian general and everything that comes along with that for the Middle East. What is going on there? What do we pray Now, I would suggest that one of the things that you could pray right now is for the church of Iran. It is the fastest growing church in the world. In most extreme situation, Christianity is associated directly with America. So when America is part of the political framework, the Christians are persecuted even more. So pray for your brothers and sisters in Iran right now, because that is the most valuable thing that you could do. We are called to pray for leaders and all those in authority. Some of them we kind of think are okay. Some of them we absolutely detest your choice to decide who those are. But God calls us to pray for them. When people are doing crazy mad things, should we not pray more, not less? We need to be those who have the oversight, the drone view of what's going on. In our time now, we have an openness as the church to provide in our nation than we've had over many years before. We have no idea when that will stop. None. It just takes one piece of legislation. For example, if we could no longer claim gift aid back, it would be hugely impacting on the church in this land. Massively. We never know when our time will end, so we need to take every opportunity whilst it's available to us. Can we see what God is saying and can we step up like the men of Issachar and know what the church should be? This is about God's sight for us. And it always takes me back to the prophet Habakkuk. I put a marker in this time because it took me so long to find it in the first service. (laughs) Chapter 2 and verse 1, Habakkuk says, and he Their nation is absolutely in desperation. They're crying out to God, how long? The Babylonians have come in with this scorched earth policy. They're in a desperate place. And Habakkuk says this, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. Don't you love it? I will look to see what he will say to me. Not kind of logical, is it? But this is the prophet speaking. And what answer I am to give to this complaint, how long, O Lord? Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. We need to hear what God is saying, don't we? You know, it's much more important than anything that any of the rest of us say. I feel like I'm drowning sometimes in the weight of my own opinions and everybody else's. And they're not that impressive. We need to know what God is saying. 
We are praying this morning for Australia. We have two of our friends and their family here with us today. Now, what is God saying? We were praying for rain, because that seems like a wise prayer, doesn't it? You know, when Elijah looked out, there was no cloud in the sky. He said, how come it's going to rain for so long? God said, because I said so. You know, maybe that's our prayer right now, is even when there's no clouds in the sky, for a cloud to appear and for God to send his rain, and maybe along with that, some spiritual rain on a vast continent. As we look forward to the vision that God's given us, I take to heart the story of those spies in Numbers chapter 13. Now God had said that he would give them the land. God said, I'll give you the land. So he wasn't really asking them their opinion on whether or not he was going to give them the land because he told them he was going to give them the land. He said, I want you to go and check it out. I want you to go and see it so that you know how to go into the land in the best possible way, to build some strategy. But they came back and, and then they didn't go. You know, we need to be confident in God's vision. I mean, there have been times, and, and I've been honest with you, where we felt a bit wavery over some of our vision because it's hard staying steady for a period of time. It's hard when obstacles come. It's hard when things come against you. It's hard when your own anxieties come into play. We need to be confident in God's vision. When God says something, he is more than able to accomplish that. We need to be confident in that. We need to not allow fear to counteract faith. That's what happened. Ten of them, despite seeing the wonderful land and the milk and the honey and the vast bunches of grapes and all the rest of it, they let fear overtake faith. I think that sometimes happens as we get a bit older and more sensible. I don't think young people have this issue as much as sometimes we do. Our daughter is going to Tanzania in a few weeks' time now, a couple of months' time. And initially she was going on her own. Um, that's changed. But initially she was going to go on her own. So we would have dropped her at Manchester Airport. She would have flown to Amsterdam. She would have changed planes to fly to Nairobi, where she would have been met by somebody she'd never met before, taken to somewhere she'd never been before, overnight to get on a bus to go to somewhere she'd never gone before, all on her own. I feel slightly anxious about that. <laughs> Caitlin, are you okay? But of course, it's fine. I've looked at Amsterdam Airport on the internet. I know I come in here and I need to get on a plane over there. It'll be fine. You see, adventure. Kind of sometimes not knowing consequences is a good thing. But, you know, we can so easily allow fear. Oh, but this is comfortable. You know, those spies, even though they didn't like being in the desert, and then after that they just whinged and moaned for absolutely years on end. Poor Moses. They still were comfortable with what they knew. My friends, we don't know quite what this next year is going to look like. We definitely don't know what the next decade is going to be look, looking like. But we kind of suspect there might be some changes. That we might need to be a bit uncomfortable. Like, like some stuff that we like might need to be different. And... Most of us, fear creeps up quite easily. And as soon as we get afraid, we go, oh, let's take a step back, shall we? Why don't we just 
hold for a few months, years. Sometimes we need to take our faith and just go forward, trusting that God is in this. And I guess this is the other bit of this, is don't choose the good over the best. And this, for many of us, is probably the most dangerous place. Don't choose the good over the best. I like our church. I hope that you do. I quite like most of you, most of the time. (laughs) I like how we do things. I like our style. Is that the best that God has for us? And if it isn't, then the challenge is to me and to you to not allow good to overtake the best. And to be brave and to step forward into the things that God has for us. We've talked a lot about discipleship this last year or so. Apologies, but we're not going to stop talking about it. Because when we have God's vision, then we need to have the right attitude to it. And the attitude that we need to have really moving forward is these three things. Attentiveness, humility, and obedience. And as I think about those things, there's one person who mainly comes to mind out of Scripture for me, and that's Mary. Mary, who we think must have been attentive to the Torah, to the words of the Scriptures, A faithful servant who knew God. And okay, maybe it's easier to be attentive when the angel Gabriel turns up to speak to you. But attentiveness is something that we can develop to hear the voice of God speaking to us. And oh, what humility. Let it be to me according to your word. I can't really think of a more humble attitude than that. I'm not thinking about myself, I'm not thinking about my own well-being, I'm not thinking about my plans for my life, I'm not thinking about what everyone else will say, I'm not thinking about what might happen to me if I choose to follow what you've told me. Let it be to me, according to your words. And obedience in everything to the word of God. And I would love for myself, and I would love for us, to cultivate these characteristics in our hearts. Because I think that as we do, we will hear God and we will see more clearly what he's showing us, which means we'll walk more near to him, being covered in the dust of his feet as disciples of Jesus. And that's what it's all about. And you know, my friends, this is not for me. And it's not for us in this room. It's not for this year and it's not for this decade. It's for a hundred years from now and two hundred years from now that in this place there would be a light that shines to the glory of Jesus. In the beginning of Revelation there's some letters to the churches. Some of those churches don't exist anymore. We follow the vision of God for us because we want in this place there to be a community of people who love and worship Jesus. Ten years' time, 
50 years' time, 100 years' time, until that day when Jesus comes back again. And I signed up for a big commission, and I hope that you did too, because that's our commission, to serve him for all time, for all eternity, either here on earth or in his presence forever and ever. We're going to just take a moment. There's a a video that we're going to watch. It's just got some words on it, so it'll just give you a chance to have a moment. And it may be that one of these phrases jumps out to you and you just want to take that and reflect more upon it as we move forward.